0: The sleeper in the bust. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open, file, a case shut. A short, stop, or stop short. Press play or press board. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what troop is. Mike and no pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? who's missing? The sleeper in the bust. The sleeper in the bust.
1: Hello out there in Fantasyland and welcome to the Sleeper in the Bust, uh, Mike Podhorser. And I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing a pair of DL returnees and an off- offensive monster residing in Los Angeles. And uh, we'll start off as usual with the most interesting player alive today. And he's actually the most searched for player in the number three position And that's Justin Verlander, who uh, we've spoken about before once. And and we talked about all of his underlying metrics looked great and he was going to turn it around quickly. And yet he hasn't. I mean, his ERA is up to 390. The last time he had an ERA at least that high was back in 2008. So, Eno, what's going on here? And how much do you think the decrease in velocity is playing a role in his disappointing season?
0: You know, we talked about, you know the, the 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 there's a range perhaps um, at least between 90 and 94 that I don't think um, it's a huge deal if you sort of drop within that and he he dropped from 93 something to 92 something it's about a mile per hour you know with his swinging strike rates the way they are and I just want to blame bat- his batting average on balls in play I just, I just I don't I don't see like a breakdown in skills his strikeout rate's the best of his career.
1: Um, you know, I don't. I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, he's a he's a guy that I think, along with Cole Hamels, is I think the ultimate buy at a discount elite starting pitcher. I mean, I actually personally have tried buying low in in one of my home leagues uh, the last week, and I was unsuccessful, of course. But I'm sure there are many owners out there who are panicking because. He's not really turning things around. I mean, he's basically been consistently having mediocre or poor games for Justin Verlander, and and he's posted below league average BABIPs uh, bad uh, the majority of his career. We know he's on uh, a defense that is not very good. So, uh, but still, a 3.47 BABIP. You can't imagine that playing out the rest of the year, and, and that's basically the explanation here, right?
0: i mean that's that's all that I see in the numbers really. I mean he's changed his pitching mix a little bit, but uh, it hasn't been a negative. you know his swinging strike rate is great, his strikeout rate is great um, you know why why would it be so terrible he threw a couple more change ups so far this year i uh i don't I don't see any reason why he needs to have that batting average on balls in play
1: uh, He is actually allowing a line drive rate, which is the highest of his career now line drive rate is a notoriously fickle. Uh, batted ball distribution type and although they, it might explain somewhat the elevated BABIP, you, you can't really imagine it necessarily repeating for the rest of the year because line drives are uh, the, the fewest line drives of all the batted ball types, the, the fewest hit, the lowest rate and, and so it's prone to small sample size uh, craziness. And, I mean, he's only allowed 63-line drives all year compared with 115 ground balls, 94 fly balls. So, clearly the fewest there, meaning that it won't take that much to get that back below uh, league average or, or toward his uh, mean for his career. But that does look like a, an explanation behind the, the high BABIP at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, 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 you just can't. You know the the line drive thing is just you know I, I I'd like to see other things because you know we haven't really that's the, I think that's the one place that we really haven't found uh, a pitcher is capable of controlling it year to year. So you know and if you think about it, it makes sense because you know the it's like I said about you know how he's had 16 starts. You know who's he played in those 16 starts? What you know what um, what parks was he in? You know, what were the what were the stringers recording those days? Maybe he was, you know, playing in a park where the stringers record a lot of line drives. Uh, the, the stringers are the people who are, are are deciding whether it's a line drive or, or a ground ball or a fly ball. Um, so I think there's it's just it, it's just 16 games, and to say that yeah he's now he's going to start giving up line drives because he's what 28 29. Um, you know he's 30 yeah, he's 30 but you know it, it, it's not enough of a velocity drop he's still throwing 93 You know, he's still throwing 93 he can still add, add on a couple ticks at the end of the game he's still an excellent pitcher I definitely agree with you, he's a bye though
1: yeah and we've talked about in previous episodes if there's any correlation between a drop in velocity and an increase in home run per fly ball rate and I think the same question has to be asked about line drive rate do pitchers who see a loss in velocity give up a higher rate of line drives? And again, it would make sense. I just don't know if that is the case. And But you have to think that a drop in in velocity has got to affect something. I mean, these pitchers are getting to the major leagues based on their velocity. And if anything in their pitch mix deteriorates, then you think it's got to affect something. I mean, if it's not affecting Verlander's strikeout rate, then maybe it shows up somewhere else. Maybe it's the line drive rate, but again, it's all speculation. We don't know. So given what we know so far, Verlander makes for a fantastic buy low. His Sierra, his XFIP, his FIP, everything is all in line with what he's always done before. It's just an inflated BABIP. So put on your trading shoes and go out and get Justin Verlander is our recommendation. Yeah. All right. Moving along to some DL returnees. Uh, Jose Reyes is finally set to return from a sprained ankle tomorrow. Are you worried at all that his speed is going to be affected?
0: Yeah. I mean, I saw – i I'm a little bit less worried about his uh, actual speed, but maybe a little bit more worried about how many stolen basic attempts he's going to uh, take just because I saw him running um, – before a podcast that we did from, uh, from AT&T Park, and he, he looked pretty good running. Uh, but it, it's the sort of uh, left-to-right motion that you make when you take off, and then in particular the sliding that uh, worries me a little bit because uh, he obviously did this sliding, um, and is he going to go back to, to hands first, or is he going to do... You know, is he going to do something different there? Um, and he wasn't. You know, I mean, I guess he was still. He was actually stealing bases a pretty healthy clip to begin with. But um, if he if he's a little bit more tentative uh, going forward, that's where most of his value lies.
1: Yeah, and considering the guys batting behind him, you got Jose Batista, Edwin Incarnacion, a rejuvenated Adam Lind. Colby Rasmus, who's become an all-or-nothing guy, I mean, they have a lot of power behind him, so are they going to really want to risk him re-injuring that ankle by giving him the green light, hitting right before all those power sources, who could hit the ball out of the park where that stolen base is meaningless? I mean, I I think the answer might be no. And so personally, I'm desperate for stolen bases in my home league. I didn't even throw out an offer for Jose Reyes because I'd be nervous. That he's just not going to run as often. And, and that's the majority of his value. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's been hurt before.
0: You know, when he comes back, you know, his seasonal low in a healthy season was 30. So if he had a 30, 30 steel pace from now on, that's actually sort of what the projections are calling for. Is about a 30 steal pace going forward. Fifteen, fifteen or eighteen more steals over the rest of the season.
1: Right, and of course the projections are unaware of his injury. They just know that he's not, he hasn't been playing, but they don't know why.
0: Uh, right, but you know the, the 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 flip side, the you know just to play devil's advocate for a second is that steals are down in baseball, um, and. I found that there basically will be as many 25 steal guys this year as there were 30 steal guys last year. So, you know, if he is only going to steal at a 30 home 30 steal pace the rest of the way, he he's still going to be in the top 20 of at his position uh, no, top 20 in baseball in steals the rest of the way. And that's uh that's if you're thinking about sort of a 12 team league, that's a top base stealer, even at a thirty stone base pace.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. That even if he doesn't you know, go on a pace that you expected for his full season, if his pace over the rest of the season isn't that same preseason pace that you expected, meaning that he would be less valuable, that's probably offset by the fact that his steals that he does produce are probably more valuable than you expected because steals are just down. And and so maybe his value actually is unchanged going forward depending on how much his steals are reduced given uh all of the uh concerns that we do have and we obviously don't know i mean he could be fully healthy and and running like the wind we don't know
0: yeah and for every segura that came step forward um
1: brett gardner michael bourne i mean those are two off the top of my head who steals are way down
0: right but you know uh uh for every for every Segura that stepped forward in the shortstop position, I would say that there were, you know, Anderson Simmons and other other types that um regressed. And I would say that shortstop, even though the, you know, sort of eleventh and twelfth rated shortstop is still playable in a mixed league, I still think it's the worst position. And, you know, he's a top half guy. So, you know, it's a little risky, but there are certain teams that really need to take that sort of risk, I think.
1: All right, let's move along to our second DL returnee. Uh, Aaron Hill is returning today from a fractured hand. Now, Jeff Zimmerman has done a lot of research on injuries and and players coming back from injuries. Has he ever looked at hand injuries? Uh, I know he's looked at wrists before. I believe concussions as well. I don't remember if he's looked at fractured hands though. Off the top of your head, do you recall?
0: Um, he's done some work with. Uh Yeah, wrists for power. And uh, I think he did something about that, um, just hand injuries in general for power. But, uh, I mean, the the traditional thinking is that it takes a little while to come back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm an Aaron Hill owner myself. And I am not expecting his power to fully rebound. But, I mean, he was hitting third before... He went down, and it's a decent lineup, and so he does have the potential still to be one of the top second basemen. So it's not like you can really sell low. Uh, so it's to me, it's just a crush your fingers and hope for the best. But you have to assume that his power is going to be down, right?
0: Yeah, and, and if he if it is, you know, for me, Aaron Hill is just one of those guys that's on the precipice of not working out, like like spectacularly. <laughs> terrible seasons i mean i think there have been some seasons in there that have made me be like i never want to own that guy again and i know that's not the right way to do it because he's he's been decent since and you know he, he's a, he's a good player but um anything like this i'm i've just you know there's enough nervousness in my in my interactions with aaron hill from, in the past that i am not really going out there and pursuing him right now
1: yeah, I mean, the real issues with Hill in the past that has gotten many owners like you feeling that way is that one year in 2011, his power disappeared, and then in 2010, it was a 196 BABIP. And that's it. I mean, other than that, he's shown 20-plus home run power, and he makes really good contact that, you know, just a league-average BABIP, and he's going to hit you at least 270. And plus, he's, he's shown speed his last two seasons, 14 steals and 21 steals before that. So he could be an all category guy, and, and that's rare at the second base position.
0: Well, I mean, then you really should have gone out and gotten him, you know, before because, you know, his uh, his owner has been sitting on him for so long, <laughs> yeah. That you know, for you to come with a, with an offer now uh, would probably make them laugh and be like, oh, now you're here. You know, in fact, what I would probably do is look to see if Aaron Hill, uh, the Aaron Hill owner, found a decent second baseman in the meantime. That's what I do a lot. Is when a returner comes, I go and look for their 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 the, the guy they had in the in the meantime and see if that guy is somebody I want to I want to get. Because you know, if they found a good second baseman in the meantime that, that you want, then it's a lot easier to get them now. Because they'll be like, oh, I finally got Aaron Hill back, you know, and what I don't need this other guy anymore.
1: Yeah, or they could be so happy with the replacement that they think that, oh, Aaron Hill's finally back. Now I can trade him. So you never know. So, well, it's definitely worth talking so, to Aaron
0: Hill owners right now, for sure. For sure.
1: Yeah, but the risk is there that his power is down. So maybe the best course of action is to wait two weeks, see if Aaron Hill gets off to a slow start, especially with the power and then go knocking on his owner's door and and see. Because, again, many owners are, are nervous because he's been up and down his entire career. And so nobody's really too confident in what Aaron Hill is going to give to you. So a couple of weeks of some underperformance coming off of the injury might have his owners panicking. Yeah, that's true. All right, let us move along to the monster residing in Los Angeles. There is a man bear Puig sighting. And I really want to know, do you have any clue who actually invented that nickname, Man Bear Puig? I love it because I love South Park. And any South Park <laughs> reference is in my book.
0: No, I, I just remember seeing it on Twitter a lot when he when he started hitting homers. Now there's actually a Man Bear Puig uh, Twitter account. <laughs> so uh, someone someone capitalized on that pretty quickly.
1: Alright, so you published an article this morning uh, talking about selling high on Man Bear Puig. And you are quite optimistic comparing him to uh, a whole bunch of players historically. So, would you rather, in a redraft for the rest of the season, Man Bear Puig or Jason Hayward?
0: Uh, That was a big one that came up. Um, And, you know, the thing is, Puig's on the... uh, I guess there is a slight risk with his swinging strike rate where it is, and his um, and his strikeout rate already right around league average. There, I think there is a batting average risk. I mean, obviously he has he's a batting average on balls in play over 500. That's not going to happen anymore. So we don't really know his true talent batting average, and his rest of season projections are around 260 or 270. The problem is those are the same for Jason Hayward. So. Um, you know, you're, now you're talking about, they're not necessarily, there's not necessarily a winner in batting average. Okay. Uh, so now you talk about runs and RBI. Uh, it's not really easy to, to declare one or the other a winner in that one. Puig hits the high in the order. Uh, his batting lineup is bad, but, uh, you know, Hayward has like 13 RBI in the season. So, you know, Puig already has more RBI than Hayward, which is just weird. Um. <laughs> So I don't think there's a clear winner there. So now you're talking about home runs and stolen bases for the two of them. Uh, Puig has just like shown monster power pretty much from day one. Um, And we really don't know what his true talent power is, but he's really showing a lot of power.
1: Well, I could tell you for one thing that his true talent home run per fly ball rate is probably not (laughs) 46.7%.
0: No, it's definitely not 46%. (laughs) Um, but you know, I definitely have him down for you know. Basically, the result of this for me was that uh, I, I'm taking the over on his rest of season projections, Puigs, because they have him down for a 180 ISO, and I just don't see there's any way that he's going to do that. Uh, he had a 280 ISO in Double A. Uh, he's been built for power. He was he was lo- he was signed for power. He looks powerful. You know, I, I don't see a 180 ISO coming. So. If he's got a 200-plus ISO, then he's on equal footing, actually, with Hayward in terms of power. And Hayward's stealing bases less. So, And then Hayward's got this injury uh, question. So uh, I think it's really close, and I think that's a really good one.
1: But I'm going to take uh, Puig here, actually. Which, it sounds crazy to some, and kind of, uh, maybe not crazy is a word, but it's amazing to me how high Puig has pushed himself in, you know, rest of season rankings, given how amazing he's done because Jason Hayward was, you know, a top 10, top 15 outfielder preseason. And so you're, you're suggesting that for the rest of the season that Yasiel Puig now himself is like a top 15 outfielder rest of season, which I don't think is nuts, but it's, it's crazy to think that this is a guy who started the year in double A. He's a rookie for all intents and purposes, and you think he's going to be a top 15 outfielder the rest of the way. You know
0: there are, there are there are issues in his in his peripherals you know he he, he reaches too much, uh, he swings a lot and but the problem is that none of these have really stabilized yet so and, and hes he's so hot that what he's doing right now is just swinging everything and hitting, hitting the crap out of it. There's going to be an adjustment process where pitchers don't give him stuff to hit. Um, and they find something that they perceive as a whole. Then I look back at his minor league numbers, which actually have fine walk rates. And yes, those aren't in a big sample either, but that's 200 plate appearances with a, with a double-digit walk rate in the minor leagues. So I don't think that he's necessarily the hacker that he's showing himself to be right now. I think that he's you know, swinging at things that he can hit, and he's showing that he can hit them. So, you know, once they find the things that he can't hit, they're going to throw those and he's going to, I think, given his track record, you know, um, not swing at those as much. And his walk rate will go up. His batting average will go down. His power will go down. Um, but, you know, it'll stabilize in a place that I think makes a lot of sense.
1: His swing percentage is nearly 58% versus a 46% league average, and his outside swing percentage is 41% versus a 30% league average. So, yeah, when, when we say that Puig is swinging at everything, yeah, he's swinging at literally everything that the pitcher throws up there. And I think he's the classic case of uh, a rookie who starts off hot, and then pitchers make the adjustment, and he's going to slump, and it could be a, a major slump, and then it's going to be up to Puig again, to adjust and, and start becoming more patient. And then when pitchers start realizing that, oh, Puig is finally laying off all our pitches in the dirt and way outside the strike zone. Now they got to start- come back
0: in. Right. right.
1: Then we'll finally know who the true man bear is. And that's why, and that's why
0: even swing percentage uh, takes almost 200 plate appearances to stabilize is because there are these things that happen in little streaks and, and, and adjustments that happen back and forth. Um, that you can't you know, I don't think we can say, yes, people are worried about his low walk rate, he only has three walk rates and eighty two plate appearances. That is worrisome, but it's not it's not a death knell yet. You know, he's not you know, the worst name that I came up with in when I took Puig's age, his prospect pedigree, and his start into account, the worst name I came up with was Juan Encarnacion. And so basically Juan Encarnacion represents the worst case scenario for Puig in terms of he doesn't adjust in with his walk rate his strikeout rate goes up a little bit and he he's one of those guys that kind of relies on a natural ability he has a short peak he's like a 5 year guy and uh in that but even then i think people don't remember that Juan Encarnacion was useful And he was a pretty good player he hit about 270 had twenty 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 seasons um a bunch of those in there had a couple seasons where he hit more home runs. I think Puig has shown that he has more power than Juan Encarnacion. So you're talking about a guy that could go 270, 25, 20. And that's basically what people wanted from Hayward at the beginning of the season before we realized that he's not going to steal as many bases this year. So that's that's another way to come back to the Hayward discussion. But it's another thing to say, even if we are start talking about worst-case scenarios, you know, he has nothing in common with Derek Barton. So he's not going to be Derek Barton. And the other book man that I came up with was Juan Encarnacion and Juan Encarnacion was, was useful. So I think he's shown enough that he's going to be useful. He's going to have power. He's going to have speed. And we're all sort of wondering, basically the play discipline stuff is going to be relevant to his batting average.
1: All right. I mean, for me between Hayward and Puig, I'm stubborn. I still want to believe in Hayward. And especially in a redraft, I, I, I think Hayward is obviously much safer. And so I would definitely take Hayward over the rest of the year instead of uh, Puig. Uh well,
0: you know, here's here's uh let's ask a Steamer real quick. Um, steamer has for Puig is a two sixty seven uh with twelve homers and eleven stolen bases. And uh for Hayward it's two fifty four or 262 with 13 homers and eight stolen bases. So I think uh, Steamer says
1: uh, uh, Pui. Yeah, and then the runs and RBIs, uh, the Braves are obviously a better team, but they can't really find the leadoff hitter because Angelton Simmons refuses to walk or stop hitting pop-ups and so
0: that that's killed man i really got burned by pop-ups this year dude my two sleepers were mike Mustakas and anderson simmons and i mean i i'm glad that i got dominic brown right or else i'd really look bad
1: and then last year was lucas duda so you're on a roll
0: yeah but duda didn't have the pop-up problem at least he
1: just stunk (laughs) overall yeah right so you're good at picking bad players good job
0: (laughs) hey don brown and i think anthony rizzo is gonna work out
1: i i agree uh all right, how about the uh, next Would You Rather uh, fellow Cuban import, Yoannis Sispitas, who also was mentioned in the comments of your article.
0: Yeah, I mean, I hate the fact that they're both Cuban because there are so many sort of statistical similarities. Um, and, you know, what's really interesting is that has had a, a kind of bad swing strike rate, but a good strikeout rate last year, and now we're seeing the same swing strike rate and a bad strikeout rate this year. So I wonder if that's going to happen with Puig a little bit. Um, you know, Puig's swing strike rate is definitely worse than Cespedes. Um, so I, I don't know about that, but they they otherwise show similar um, features. It's just that Cespedes is getting caught on the base pass all the time and uh and his stealing is is attempting fewer steals this year um so you know and I wish that Seth, i wish that puig had stolen more than two bases right now, so that we could say something more definitive about his uh stolen base
1: well, if you want that to happen, he's got to stop hitting home runs I mean he needs tough right. to steal a base when all of his hits go over the fence <laughs> Yeah.
0: so uh that's another hard one um I'm gonna take uh I'm going to take Puig because he's showing the better strikeout rate now. Um, But I I think that they have a lot of similarities. And I just Puig's a little bit younger than Cespedes. And uh, now that he's not the big behemoth that he was, I think that he looks a little more athletic and will steal more bases in the future in terms of a keeper league.
1: Well, no surprise. I'm going to go with Cespedes. Uh, Better lineup, better lineup spot. Did it in a full season last year. And so, again, I'm going to safety here. Um, I'm still nervous about the adjustments to Puig, so I'm going Cespedes. All right, next, Would You Rather, is a guy that we've gotten so many questions about, and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's been fine. Matt Holiday, who, yeah, I guess he's a slightly uh, disappointing so far, but rest of year, Puig or Holiday? Um.
0: Yeah, you know, I have a lot more confidence in Matt Holliday's batting average going forward. And there's really no issues there. And he's in a killer lineup, doing killer things and runs an RBI. You know, Puig might match him. No, I mean, if Puig's lucky, he'll match him with homers the rest of the way. Uh, he won't match him and runs an RBI and um you know he might outsteal him but we're we're still sort of waiting to know more about the steals so uh this might surprise people because it probably puts holiday above some guys that they like better but holiday's just uh and I and I don't love holiday but um he's just solid he's solid and I and I'll take the over on the zips rest of season projection for holiday which is 278 i like the steamer rest of season 291 12 homers 2 stolen bases that 30 points of batting average is going to make up for the difference in steals, and i take Holiday.
1: Yeah, no surprise. I will, too. But my last would you rather, I think, is the most interesting, and that's Alex Rios. Mm. Exactly. Exactly how I felt when I typed up his name.
0: Mm. <laughs> well, you, you to your credit, you've, uh, you've liked him, uh, even though he's sort of had the up and down um, the up-and-down history. Um, you know, the the weird thing about him is that even though he never struck out at the league average rate, he's also had bad batting averages in his past. Um, so there's definitely, even though it doesn't look like there should be some batting average risk uh, based on his strikeout rate and the fact that he has some power and speed, for some reason he ha- he is a batting average risk just from looking at his past. I mean his career batting average is two two seventy nine and most of the rest of season projections uh uh hold him to that, basically. Or worse. Uh that's that's interesting. So if you give him a two seventy average and uh and double digit homers and double digit steals, I mean that's better than what you expect out of Puig. So I you know, Puig Puig would have to be better than he, we would have to be better than we expect once regression hits in to be better than Rios.
1: Interesting. So what you're saying then is you like Rios better than Cespedes and Hayward for the rest of the season? Well, I'm really ner- I'm really nervous
0: about Cespedes' uh, stri- uh, strikeout rate, you know, and it, it's getting to the point where it is a thing that's g- that I think will cost him batting average, and 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 I'll take the under on the batting average on his on his um, on his projections. And so then, therefore, if you take the under on his batting average. And you're, and then you're worried about his two two successful steals in seven attempts, and the fact that he's hurt his his legs, and so may not really want to take a bunch of steal attempts. Then you're talking about a power, uh, a mostly a power only guy, in a bad power park uh, with a bad strikeout rate. So you're talking about a guy with a bad batting average and power. You know, I think Puig's worst case scenario is a bad batting average, but power and speed. Uh, you're talking about Hayward. There's a guy who I love his approach in real life, <clears throat> and in real life I'd take him over Puig in a second because he's got um, great defense and great batting, uh, great on base percentage, and he's proven himself. And um, you know, in keeper leagues, you know, there's definitely an argument for Hayward. You know, for another season, he'll be he'll be better in another season. But this season, you know, you never know. People get into these bad funks, and he's definitely not stealing as much. So there's a window there. The hardest one for me out of those was Hayward.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, his peripherals look great. It's just, he's just not doing it. So you wonder if returning from that appendectomy is actually affecting him or if it's just, uh, and people, still- have,
0: people have bad seasons that they never regress like we think they're going to, you know? Yeah. And you, and you, and when you're in those, I mean, it, it is funny because Adam Dunn had one of those seasons and it was, the, and appendectomy was involved. So there's a, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just say because appendectomy Adam, Adam Dunn, therefore Jason Hayward sucks. But what I'm saying is sometimes people get the wheels sort of come off, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and we always search for explanations uh, for disappointing seasons. And sometimes it's not, I mean, we're all human. And even though these players are, even though they're major leaguers, for whatever reason, sometimes they just have down years.
0: And Alex Rios hit 227 with 13 homers and 11 stolen bases in 2011. Yep, and otherwise has been a very useful player in fantasy. But with that one year factored in, you're just you know you're always gonna it's always gonna affect his projections, and uh, it's always gonna be in the back of your mind. Hayward Hayward is probably gonna be undervalued next year because he's gonna have bad overall numbers for this year. Uh, but you know it doesn't mean that. He's always going to be this way.
1: All right. So the Red Sox finally tired of Will Middlebrooks and demoted him. And does this make Jose Iglesias uh, worthwhile for owners in, in shallower 12-team mixed leagues? Or is he uh, resigned to just AL-only play?
0: You know, there's a possibility that he uh, puts up a, a nice batting average. Um I mean he's obviously doing that right now and uh he makes a lot of contact and the you know you don't see a lot of stolen bases in his past but he's a he's an athletic guy he's a speedy guy he's in some ways having the kind of season that I was hoping that Simmons would have when I when I uh when I touted him some um so I feel like you know can he hit 280 uh, going forward? I think he could, actually. I mean, I don't think it would take that much. So 280 with uh, five or six stolen bases, yeah, I think he can do that. That's not usually mixed-league material, um, but he's obviously probably going to be playing at shortstop for you, so he could be at least be a too-low fill-in with some speed and, and not necessarily power. Um, but yeah, he's more of a real-life asset because it's all about his fielding. And I think it's it's a little weird that they're playing him at third um, considering that, you know, he was always considered to be, like, a great defensive first baseman. You know, some people uh, put out there on Twitter that, you know, Steven Drew is the veteran, and, you know, he doesn't have to make room for the the young guy. But, you know, given their skill sets, I would rather have Iglesias at short and Drew at third. Um, and then the, the, the third thing that's sort of hanging out there is that uh, Xander Bogart's is uh, having a great year and is by all respects looks ready for the major leagues and is a big guy that has more power than iglesias and it's not impossible to think that the best alignment for the red sox right now would be jose iglesias at short xander bogart's at third and stephen drew as a utility guy so Um, you know I think there's a lot of things in play and I think also the Middlebrooks you know some of that was bad if that did a minute yes a lot of it was 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 striking out too much but uh, I don't think Will Middlebrooks is as bad as he was at the beginning of the season either so it's nice it's an embarrassment of riches but it's hard for fancy guys to know exactly what they need to what they need in that in that group
1: yeah i would be quite the shake-up in Boston if that actually happened and I'm not really convinced that Iglesias is worth anything in any league. I mean, right now, he's basically an artifact of BABIP. Uh, He has no power whatsoever. He's only attempted two steals and stolen one base. So as soon as that BABIP declines, the batting average, I mean, maybe he hits 270. But he's not going to contribute anything in any of the other counting stats. So he's a won't-kill-you-in-batting-average guy, and that's about it. And that's not the type of guy I like having in even AL-only leagues. I would prefer somebody who at least has decent speed or some power so I could count it on at least something uh, as a contribution. So personally, I have no interest in Iglesias. Uh, Xander Bogarts, I mean, he's only had 43 at-bats at, at A, batting 209, uh, showed some power, so that's a good sign. But I would be surprised if he got anything more than uh, a September cup of coffee. And I don't know, I don't have Drew's stats up right now, but I think he's he's doing fine enough, right? Uh, batting
0: 220. Just striking out twenty six percent of the time um, I don't know he doesn't i mean not not really a fantasy guy but uh not you know he's just hurting you as much in batting average as he's helping anywhere else and his upside is probably double digit homers and that's about it so uh you know in in real life he's got he's got the best walk rate of the of uh the three uh infielders that were playing on the left side uh, for the for the Red sox so He's probably gonna stick around. He's a veteran. Uh I I'd say yes, Drew will stick around, but Iglesias at, at third is a is a little bit of a weird one. They called up Brandon Snyder, he's like a, a a stopgap uh journeyman type guy that they just signed on like a minor league free agent deal. He's not really a, a long term asset. Xander Bogart's uh I think you might be right, he might not be ready, or, you know, it's also triple A, so if he has a good couple weeks, then his numbers look better, and then you're like, okay, well, now he's, you know, done well at every, at every minor league stop. So it's basically a race, I think, between Xander Bogarts and um, Xander Bogarts, who, who not everyone is sure can be a shortstop in the future, so therefore could go over to third base, and people think has, have the bat has the bat for third base. So now it's kind of a race between Will Middlebrooks getting it right again and coming back up, which is the most likely answer, I think, is that Will Middlebrooks rides the ship, has a good couple of weeks, and comes back up to reclaim the role. Um, or Xander Bogarts has those great couple of weeks and, and leapfrogs him.
1: Yeah, I mean, the concern going into the season for Middlebrooks was that wrist injury, which may have sapped his power. And yet he came in, his ISO was 197, 15% homer per fly ball rate, both a bit below last year, but I don't think anybody expected him to sustain last year. And so the power was fine, but yeah, his Babbitt was just 221. So I think he should probably be back up uh, sooner rather than later if he gets off to a hot you know, couple of weeks in the minors, and that would probably keep bogarts down i mean maybe they think that his longer term is third base and then they move him to third has he had any experience at third base yet bogarts um i have to check it up all right well in the meantime we actually got a twitter question from at yakitas and he was asking about score sheet leagues and you know i know you're in a score sheet league i've never played in one So, what's the difference between a score sheet league and a traditional league, and how do you strategize in that type of a format compared with a a traditional league? Uh, By the way, Xander's only played shortstop uh, his whole minor
0: league career, so that is is something. I mean, maybe you watch the minor league box scores to see if he plays in third base. Um, Definitely an interesting thing to watch. Uh, The only Real mixed league winner in that group, I think, is Xander Bogarts. He comes up and is everything he should he could be. Um, otherwise, Will Middlebrooks just doesn't have the batting average. Anyway, back to score sheet. Um, you know, I, I like it. Uh, I, I hate the interface. It is uh, without, with it is without par in how terrible it is. I mean, it is really the worst website I've ever used. For fantasy.
1: So wait, hold on. Are you saying that it's actually worse than the uh, stat service we use for TAT Wars?
0: It is worse than RT Sports. It is worse than on, uh, Root on or On Roto or any, any of those guys. Wow, that's bad. Uh, those two sites are terrible as well. It's all text based. Like when you when you do the draft in score sheet, you actually highlight uh, text and put it in a text box and then click submit. <laughs> so you actually could just like type it in. I mean, it's, it's terrible. You have this one page that's a bunch of links that gives you to other page, pages to do things. And, you know, you can't go back and forth between them. You're just, you're kind of just leapfrogging, you know, from place. And then, uh, it's just the the whole hierarchy, you just like get lost in places. And you're like, wait, where am I supposed to? I have to go back over here to do this. And it's nothing is in one place. And you it really should be that you click these things and you're, and you're, what you're looking at changes, but you have the nav bar the whole time, you know what I mean? The nav bar doesn't travel with you. So when you, you go to – you set your lineup, you have no idea what free agents are out there. So you have to go back to the other – you basically end up with like eight tabs on one browser just to oh set score sheet lineup. Do they mail you the standings every week? <laughs> Email, but uh, it might as well be snail mail. I mean it, it feels – it feels that outdated, and and I, I don't want to be I I I've probably already been too mean, but I do like the game. And Wait, I hold do, on. Another
1: question: If you want to trade with another owner, do they do they beep you? Does it go to your beeper? <laughs> I mean, I actually
0: don't know. I don't know how to make a trade offer within within. Uh, oh. the thing. You have to, yeah, you have to have. Uh, some sort of alternate communication. So uh, yes, beepers work, but uh, uh, I end up, you know, just there's an email group. We had to we had to set up our own uh, score sheet Google group in order to discuss things with each other. And there's there's also like a, a Google Doc with with uh, with transactions on it because their transaction
1: um, meter
0: is is kind of not good.
1: You, so you you haven't um, created a compuserve group. <laughs> I mean, that's is what it feels like. But you know, the, the, the actual game itself is
0: fun because you're including defense and you're including sort of uh, things that managers do. You can, you, put a, you can put a hook on your pitchers basically saying, if my pitcher uh, gets into a bad situation, he's going to get pulled out. So I don't have to, I don't have to take a hit for all of the runs that my pitcher gives up because I can actually go out there and pull him from the game. Um, And you have defensive backups, so Mike Napoli is my catcher, and Tyler Flowers and Hank Conger are my backup catchers, and Hank Conger is my defensive uh, replacement. So I can get a couple innings out of him where I have a good good defense behind the plate. All right. Uh,
1: So wait, quick interruption for a question. You talked about getting the hook. I mean, this is still based on real stats they've actually put up in real baseball, right? This is not a simulation.
0: It is a simulation based on real stats. So basically what they take is if your guy went 3 for 10 for the uh for the week, uh then in real life, then in those games, um this week he will have a 30% chance of getting a hit.
1: Ah. So in other words, that's why it's possible to give your starting pitcher the hook early. So if you have Justin Verlander and in real life he gave up 6 runs in 7 innings, but you have like this this hook feature on, then maybe you only get 5 of those runs. Yeah, exactly. And and
0: it, weird things happen where Tommy Malone uh threw a one-hitter uh this week, uh, last week even though he didn't come close to doing that in real life. Um so there's definitely some up and down uh you know, sort of uh, chance and luck involved. Um, And uh, I've definitely beaten some aces with my Fausto Carmona, uh, which was a big pickup for me. And in general, the game um, does do some things to undo uh, some of the things that uh, have gone too far, I think, in fantasy. So, for example, in regular fantasy baseball, perhaps closers are a little bit overvalued, at least compared to the, the real game. Um, and in, in, in score sheet, it's more like you have a whole pen. You do have a closer, but right now Tanner Shepherds is my closer, and it's working out fine. Um, so you basically uh, you can build a pen on the cheap more like it is in real life. Uh, defense is involved. There's no, no defense in fantasy normally. Uh, um, and pitching is more important just because you have to fill out those innings. So, um, you know, even though people get hurt, you just you can't – usually score sheets are deep, too. I'm in a 12-team AL only, so some of what I'm saying is related to deep score sheet leagues because there are people that play in mixed score sheet leagues. But I really like it when it's deep because you you have to fill those innings. And so if you think about your average American League team, their six and seven starters are never important in fantasy and are really unsexy. But it's kind of fun that the back of my rotation is now Fausto Carmona, Bruce Chen, and... uh, whoever else I picked up uh, that is just good enough to be better than a triple A pitcher because sheet will fill in a triple A pitcher if you don't have enough innings from your roster. So,
1: oh, Whoa, 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 whoa. Fausto Caramona, a.k.a. right now Roberto Hernandez, you're you're calling him a back of the rotation AL only guy. I have him starting in my 12-team mixed league.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's how I'm using
1: him. <laughs> and and I have him in our Tower Wars league as well. So, oh. clearly I'm a big fan of his. And I'm personally insulted that you're calling him a back-of-the-rotation guy in an AO-only league.
0: Uh, well, I mean, that's how I'm using him. And I'm very happy with him. I didn't mean to denigrate him. But, <laughs> you know, the back of my rotation is Fausto Carmona, Joe Blanton, Jacob Turner, Bruce Chen, and uh, Trevor Bauer whenever he's up. So Wait,
1: I Jacob Turner is on the Marlins. Isn't this AO-only?
0: Yes, there's a... Uh, there's, uh, Basically, you have exception slots where you're allowed to have guys uh, that are in basically crossover slots. So I'm allowed to have two players from the National League, and you know, especially by you
1: chose Jacob Turner.
0: No, 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 I owned him as a prospect. Oh, we were, when he was a in our league, we we're allowed to keep as many prospects as we would like. So uh, I owned him as a prospect. He went over to the other league. Like I still own Marisnik, even though he was uh, from Toronto. And I owned Turner from when he was with Detroit. Right. and i own carl crawford from when he was with boston so those are my uh national league players but in any case i i there are things i like about it it's very uh gm and manager-esque so you kind of have the combination of both of those things um and i really like i actually really like getting an email that has box scores of the games uh for that week because i'm it's like reading box scores and and really unlikely things happen like I beat you, Darvish, uh, with Joe Blanton. Joe Blanton had 11 strikeouts in one walk, and uh, and I and I beat you, Darvish, with him. So that always makes you smile, and um, you know, just just different things that can happen. And I, you know, I have Jose Altuve as my DH, which is I think kind of fun. Um, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, I think it's a it's a good game. It's just a terrible interface. And um, if people have questions, specific questions about it, I'd be willing to answer from what I know. I've only been playing it for a couple years now.
1: All right. Well, that's gotten me intrigued. And uh, I love those simulation-type leagues where there's some managerial skill involved as well. I know there's desktop games. Uh, there was a computer game I used to play. I don't remember what it's called. But I know there was a game called uh, 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 Out of the Park was a
0: that's a fun one. Yeah, I like that yeah, one. That's I've never got a played way it. better interface.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I know it's a popular game. There was another game, and I cannot remember the game. But then, of course, there, there was always Stratomatic that was uh, a board game that was extremely popular. So sheet is uh, similar to those types of games that I think could be a lot of fun. Yep. Anyway, uh, that's a wrap for us today. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.